Rhonda Walker is one of only two women serving on Montgomery's County Commission. She holds many titles. She's a wife, a mother, a motivational speaker, a breast cancer survivor, a Jesus lover, a natural leader. And she's my friend. Join us and grab some tissues as we sit down for some good old-fashioned girl talk. I'm Bethany Davis, and this is Being Real. Sponsored by The Weight Clinic and Alpha Insurance. For you, is spring the busiest season ever for you? Do you feel like that? This spring in particular or Just spring in, in general? Period. Um, April and May, well, and, and, and I guess March too with kids' sports. I think that's Because my it. kids always take the winter off. That's because nice. Because they don't do basketball. And I'm like, don't find something to do. For <laughs> Let's, you know. And so then it starts to ramp up late February. Yes. And then, of course, you've got May Simber. And then which it's, is the, the two, <laughs> I love the that May Simber. Yeah, May and December are lunacy. Um, but yeah, it's more I think that's probably it. it. It's the kids. I mean, uh -huh. the, once you hit that these spring months, it's the kids. You are literally your kids are literally sprinting. Uh -huh. Literally sprinting uh -huh. to uh -huh. the end. Uh -huh. Talk about your family and and your kids and what all they're involved in. Well, I have, a, I have four children, three boys, and then the youngest is a girl. And our oldest son, Hugh, graduated from Auburn University last year and is, is a civil engineer and has a great job with a great company. Uh, and he is engaged to be married. He's getting married this December, so we are thrilled. And, and Madison is just wonderful, and we can't wait to welcome her into the family. And then our second son, Grant, is a senior at Auburn studying building science, and he is in the Army ROTC. So he will serve our country uh, once he gets out of Auburn and uh, continue to, to grow and develop and decide what he, he wants to do career-wise. Uh, and then two still at home. <laughs> uh, Eli is in 10th grade at Alabama Christian, and Margaret is in 8th grade at Alabama Christian also. That's a really, really busy, <laughs> busy family that, that you have, and somehow you still manage to have your hand all over this community. I don't know how you, how do you, how do you do all that? How are you able to be in so many places all at the same time? It's just the magic of social media. Is that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> because can, you're everywhere. <laughs> we can, and, and I do a lot of things, no doubt, but we can make ourselves look busier or we can make ourselves look perfect or we can make ourselves look whatever we want to look on social media. Now, I am busy. I do a lot of things. I've done several things today already. Uh, but the truth is, uh, it, it, it's not okay to be too busy. Uh, busyness can be in a season, like you were saying. You know, sometimes the spring gets a little busier. Certainly, the holidays get a little busier, or some seasons in our in our life might get busy. But if we're if we are busy 12 months out of the year, all the time, 365, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. So for me, um, I do. I wear a lot of hats. I have several jobs, but my number one priority is being a wife and a mother. So if I'm not doing that with, with all my heart, soul, and strength, then I'm, I'm doing something wrong. So that's number one. And, and I have a great husband who, I mean, we're, we're partners. We get it done. We collaborate and we figure it all out. But, but being a wife and being a mother is number one. Everything else, we figure out how to fit that in. 
uh, like you said, my plate, there's only so much time in everybody's day. There's only so much room on everybody's plate. And when, when mine gets full, if I want to add something, then I have to take something off. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, my husband bought a small business and wants me to be there 60 hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> Because you've got 60 extra right. hours, and, right? And, 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 and he kept saying, when are, you, when, when are you going to be here more? When are you going to be here more? And I said, my plate is full. There's no more room on my plate. I can't just add working for paint landscape onto my plate. So I said, something has to go. So, so I had to take, one, you know, I, I had to leave one of my jobs. Maybe, you know, a job that I loved, a job that I felt that I was good at, uh, to go to a job that doesn't pay me and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, when, when we want to add something, we have to evaluate, and, and I was too full, so I removed something in order to add something. Good and that's job. a constant process. It is. It's, it's, it's our, and it's our entire life that we have to process those decisions. That job that doesn't pay, and you right. don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I feel like we're all, right. we all And my have, husband's my boss. We all have something like that, don't we? We all have something in our lives that's like, if this doesn't pay, and I don't know how I'm doing it, but i got to figure it out. Anyway. Well, let's talk about all of your different jobs, because you, I mean, as I had, even in addition to your wife and mother hat, yeah. your hats, yeah. I, you must have a closet full of hats. <laughs> how many sometimes. do you have? It feels that way. Well, I, I am a Montgomery County Commissioner, uh, and that is a part-time job, and I, and I kind of laugh, and, and we would all laugh. It's a part-time job, but all it's really full-time work, uh, and it can be. It can be as time-consuming as, as you allow it to be. Anything can be, uh, but I love it, and I'm very passionate about uh, local government. So I'm a county commissioner. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a speaker, uh, motivational speaking, uh, professional development speaking. I was working with Troy University. They're continuing education and outreach, but that is one of the things that had to shift off of my plate in order to add something new. Uh, and I love that organization. But, uh, and then, you know, the wife and the mother. And, you know, it's crazy. Every single night, my family wants supper on the table. Every night? Like every night. Did we and just then, eat and, last night? Yeah. And that can't be good for the week. And then there's breakfast and then there's school lunch. So uh, yeah. definitely managing a household in general. That alone is a full-time job. And uh, so those are, I think, I think I named them all. I think, I think so. I got them. You, you were appointed before you were elected to the county commission, but you were not a stranger to politics before the county commission. You, you've got a pretty extensive political background. Well, I, you know, I, I, I always like to say that I'm not a politician, I'm a public servant. Uh, and people would say, I'm not a good politician. Uh, Good politicians have, have, a, have a distinct personality uh, and ability to, to, to razzle-dazzle that I don't seem to have. But uh, I have always loved um, government and public policy. So my first job out of college was with Senator Richard Shelby in D.C. As a 22-year-old kid, I got on a plane and I moved to D.C. And literally, with nothing but a piece of paper in my hand, I got a cab at the airport and drove to the place that I was going to live for the next several years. So uh, I loved it. It was, it was such a, a to, to be 22 and to be in a city like Washington, D.C., when you're so young and impressionable, and being around that level of power and influence, uh, but also just a lot of people willing to pour themselves into you and teach mm. you things and train you. Uh, it was, it was, I, I wish every 22 year old could have a big experience like that at a young, impressionable age. That is, that is a huge experience. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. 
I, I would say lessons, but I don't even think lessons is the right word for what you might have learned mm -hmm. through that experience because I, I think some of that is is more than just uh, something you might write in a journal. That's not, that shapes that it shapes does. who you are, it who does. you become. It does. I, I think that time from the time that you're 18, uh, whether you go to college or you go into the workforce, whatever you, that those first things you do from 18 to maybe 25, 18 to 28, that is when so much growth occurs. Your, your, your physiological development, because as, as humans, our brain is not fully developed until we're 25. So that, you know, being 22 and, and not, you know, not fully, <laughs> without a fully developed brain, I was in awe a lot of the time. Shelby taught us, if you don't ask, you don't get. I didn't embrace that mentality probably until 20 years later. Wow. Uh, and th and that, was, that was just one of the many things. Experience is the best teacher, right? And you can, you can hear things theoretically in your 20s, but until you couple that intellectual knowledge with life experience, you really don't have that, ah, I, okay, I get it now. Okay, now it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and so in the past decade, I've started to enjoy some of that. Oh, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. You don't ask. If you don't, if you don't ask, you don't get. If you don't so ask, you don't get. What are, some, what are some things that you maybe wish you had asked for? Oh, gosh. That's that a, you didn't get? That's a great question. I've always, I've always kind of guided my life through preparation meets opportunity. There's no such thing as luck. Um, it's preparation meeting opportunity. Uh, and it's kind of like what I said, if I do the right thing, if I work hard, if I study, if I read, if I meet people, if I build relationships, if I prepare, then when an opportunity comes my way, I'll be ready for it. But the gap there is you have to go for that opportunity and, and don't, ever, don't ever see an opportunity and say, wow, I would love to do that but be intimidated. And we've all done that. I mean, gosh, if I sat here and thought of times that I didn't speak up that I wish I had or times that I didn't go for something that I wish, yeah, there are, there are lots of those. Yeah. Uh, but my hope is now, moving forward, I won't, I won't say that anymore. Now, I might get told no sometimes or I might lose sometimes, but I'm going to go for it. So I have this philosophy that I've really only adopted probably in the last 15 years yeah. um, because of this job that uh -huh. If you don't ask, they never say yes. No. <laughs> You'll never say yes if I don't if I don't at least ask. Yeah. But I think you hit the nail on the head when you said women in particular mm -hmm. tend to be a little bit more intimidating mm -hmm. or intimidated. Mm -hmm. What is it? Why why do we I, I think you're right. I feel the same trepidation sometimes, yeah. and I have to remind myself, well, they're never gonna say yes if you don't ask. Right. Why do we hesitate when I see plenty of, of other mm -hmm colleagues mm -hmm. and peers, male peers, that mm -hmm. have no problem stepping out. I have, I've taught my daughter, make them tell you no. Mm. Make them tell you no. That's just a, a, a phrase we like to embrace. Make them tell you no. Why as women, you know, men and women, as we know, they're equal, but physiologically we're different. Our brains are wired different. You look, mm -hmm. you talk to scientists and they will tell you the sides of the brain, the hemispheres of the brain that men use versus women, uh, the abilities women have. You know, we say we can uh, multitask, but we really can't. Nobody can. Multitasking <laughs> is unsuccessful for everybody. But men are more siloed in their thinking. We have different wiring in our brain. Uh, and I... And so I think that's part of it. I think it's partly a physiological thing, but I also think it's partly um, a, a cultural and a taught uh, um, 
characteristic that we have. Uh, we are, and, and maybe even at, stack onto that, Southern women, yeah. you know, taught to be uh, genteel and taught to be ladies, and that's a real old-fashioned term, but but the, um, the, the premise of that has really uh, flown down through the generations is, is, you know, from the silent generation when children were supposed to be seen and not heard and then women didn't have, you know, as many opportunities in the public sphere. Now that we do, we still have that uh, age-old mentality. So part of it is is how our brains are wired and part of it how our culture has taught us and how our mothers have taught us. I'll give you a for example. Um, I have an older brother and when we were uh, teenagers. He's four years older than me. Uh, he would have all of his guy friends over to the house and my mother turned our living room into a game room because she wanted our house to be that open door for all the kids anytime. Yeah. We had a ping pong table and a dartboard and a bumper pool table and so my brother had a bunch of friends over and again I was four years younger. I was probably in middle school and they were on high school and I they were playing bumper pool and well it it stayed in my house you know it was it was mine and my dad taught me how to play and I was a shark right and so I played one of my brother's friends in bumper pool and I beat him of course you did and of course his friends just absolutely ragged him just you know, he got made, beat by made a girl. so much fun of him for getting beat <laughs> by a girl and that night my mother pulled me aside and in all good intentions she said Rhonda don't ever beat a boy again you shouldn't do that, and then that embarrassed him. And I remember thinking, my mother just told me I shouldn't. And so that's how we were taught. And she didn't mean that as in you should be less than, but don't embarrass him. Don't embarrass an older boy like that by beating him in pool. That is so interesting. But a lot of girls were taught that. That's true. And, a lot, and, and so even if maybe that wasn't so overtly said, it is definitely uh, implied. implied. Yes. So that, you know, that... I, and I kind of rebelled against that whole attitude, and I knew where she was coming from, and I knew what she meant. I also went toe to toe with one of the parents at a, you know, fifth grade Christmas party when she told me I had something wrong on my, um, my little puzzle that we did, and I defied her. So I have always been a little bit defiant, not disrespectful, but well, maybe that's where that comes from. I was gonna say I'm so surprised to hear you say that story because over the years I've heard you tell the years of our friendship. I've heard you tell some. Gosh, some really sweet stories about your parents, and particularly yeah. your mom, and just yeah. what what a gem and a treasure mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. seems mm -hmm. she was in your life. Mm -hmm. And she was, and she knew how strong I was, and how you know how capable I was. And in in no way, shape, or form was she trying to make me less than. But again, it was a cultural norm. Uh, for for the little girls to defer to the little boys. That has shifted for the positive. And we have realized that, again, we are, uh, we are equal, but we are not the same. Uh, but she, yeah, my mother was absolutely phenomenal. She grew up in South Alabama in Geneva County, and they moved to Montgomery when she was in high school. So she actually graduated from Lee High School. Oh. And all of my friends, her name was Jackie, and they all called her Sweet Jackie Aww. because she was just so sweet and so fun and so down to earth. She had the gift of encouragement, and everybody that knew her knew uh, that they were going to receive encouragement from her, and she was going to tell you something uh, wonderful about yourself anytime you were around her and, and just make you feel good about you. 
and she had that that ability and she certainly did that for me she was my biggest cheerleader I mean she was my biggest cheerleader when I say I got on a plane at 22 years old my mother graduated from high school she never went to college uh, and she settled down and married you know never really left South Alabama now she traveled uh, once she became an adult but growing up and so at 22 and I told her you know mom Senator Shelby has offered me a job and it's really to back up quickly, it's a pretty cool God story. Uh, to back up, I had graduated college and needed, you know, needed some direction, right? Because what, I mean, 22-year-olds don't know what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And 43-year-olds are still trying to figure it out. <laughs> right, and we put so much pressure on 18-year-olds to have it all figured out. So and we true. are destroying our children because of it, especially our boys, because boys... Their, their intellectual, their, their, their brain development is even a little bit slower than girls. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean they're not as smart or not as capable. They just take a while longer to develop. But yet we pound it into them by the time they're 16 or 17. They need yeah, to have I their know. act together and they need to have their grades together and they need to have their activities together and they better be able to write and have a resume and all this stuff and it's just exhausting. Why did I get off on that tangent? <laughs> uh, but she was my biggest chiller. So she, she at, at, at 22, I called her and I said, she and my dad were traveling up in New England. They loved, it was October, and they loved to drive up to New England to see the fall foliage. And so they would, they would just get in the car and go. They wouldn't have any hotel reservations. They wouldn't have any schedule. They would just go. And I, I was, everybody was like, well, Rhonda, what are you going to do with your life? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't have a job. And people kept recommending jobs to me, and none of it resonated with my spirit. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's not what I want to do. That's not what I want to do. I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't necessarily know what I did want to do. Uh, and in retrospect, I realized I just wasn't dreaming big enough, right? I knew that there was something bigger out there. I just couldn't even conceive of what it was. And so one night, I knew this group of ladies was at my church. They, they, got, they went there every, every Monday night to pray. Uh, and they were there and I called uh, one of them who was a friend and I said, I know y'all are going up to the church to pray tonight. I said, will you please pray for me because I'm really struggling. Uh, I, I feel like I should have a job by now and have a, at least a little bit of direction, but I don't have any at all. And they said, Rhonda, we will pray for you, but we want you to come and be there with us. Hmm. And I was like, I'm really kind of sad and drained. And they're like, you just show up. So I showed up and I didn't pray and I love to pray and I didn't pray and they all prayed and they're so powerful and so godly and such amazing women. And I mean, we were in there for two hours. So after, it was well over an hour that they had been praying uh, and, wow. and then they looked at me and they said, do you want to pray? And I said, I, I can't because I don't know what to say. You know, I feel like God knows my heart, I don't know what to say. And they just sat there quietly, and, and finally I did feel led to pray, and I prayed and, and just, you know, said, I know you have a plan, I know, I know you do, but I just don't know what it is, and I, I need some direction, and you, you just tell me and I'll do it. So we left after two hours praying in that prayer room. I drove home and was there by myself. I was at, you know, my parents' house, and they were in New England, and the phone rang. It was probably nine or 10 o'clock at night, it was late, and the phone rang, and it was a girlfriend of mine from college. I mean, I walked in the door from the prayer room, and the phone was ringing, and it was a friend from college who I hadn't talked to since we graduated. 
And we called up for a minute and I was like, well, what are you doing now? It's so good to hear from you. And she said, well, I'm living and working in Washington, D.C. I came up here to intern for Congressman Sonny Callahan. Uh, and then I wound up getting a full-time job with Senator Richard Shelby. And I was calling you because he has a position available in his office and I think you would be perfect for it. And in that moment, that was it. God said, this is it, Rhonda, this is your job. And so, I mean, I hung up with her and I was like, okay, this is great. I know that he's got a job. I mean, I'm just, I was just a, a, a poor little girl born in a trailer park. I don't know anybody. I don't know people. I don't know who to call. I don't know friends that know a senator. How do I get my name out? Because it's all about who you know. Right. Right? And, and God said, Rhonda, this is your job. And I said, okay, the next day I called my parents who were in Maine and I said, hey, I just wanted to let y'all know I'm going to get a job with Senator Richard Shelby. So you might want to think about starting to come back home. Two weeks from that phone call, that night in the prayer room, I was getting on a plane in Atlanta. Oh, wow. Two weeks. So I kept calling my parents. I'm like, for real, for real, y'all need to come on home because this <laughs> is going down. And, and then I would call them and I said, y'all, I took all my money out of the bank and I went and bought two new suits. I'm moving to D.C. And they were like, do you even have the job? And I was like, no, but God told me I'm going to get this job. And so I got the job. You know, why are we sometimes as women afraid to ask? You know, in politics, uh, studies have shown that, that men will go to the local powers that be and say, I want to run for mayor or I want to run for state legislature. And they'll say, oh, okay, well, that's a good idea. Let's talk about it. Women wait for somebody to come to them. I think that's interesting that you you never look more than five years mm -hmm. down the road mm -hmm. because as you said we mm -hmm. we do push our kids really <laughs> as children to look so far down the road and to have it all planned out. I, I think I see that as a as a really strong leadership quality. First of all mm -hmm. I see you as one of the strongest leaders that I've ever met. Oh, <laughs> But that is an incredible leadership quality to be able to understand that this is where I am and this mm -hmm. is the this is the time and the place that needs my attention now mm -hmm. instead of looking ahead. It's so sometimes wow. so tempting to think, well, I just need to do what I'm doing now just to get to the next step. Yeah. Why do you feel like it's so important to to use your term? I love that grow where you're planted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, back back to the kid thing. We are I, I can't stress this enough, we are destroying our children. We are destroying a generation by pushing them too hard and by making them feel less than because they, they're not perfect and they can't figure out their, their life perfectly. Uh, and we need to take that on ourselves as adults. You know, as a 22-year-old, I, I would have never dreamed that I could go to Washington, D.C. and work for a senator. If I had insisted on my own plans, they would have been far less uh, powerful or exciting or big if I would have done it in Rhonda's, you know, uh, Rhonda's abilities. Uh, and, and so I think that's part of why we need to just take a step back. But also, I mean, if we're in hurry, hurry mode and, and I, I just need to do this, this, and this so then I can do that. I mean, what's the purpose? What are we missing? I mean, we're missing today. Uh, it's not the it's not the destination. It's the journey. Life is not uh, the destination. It's the journey. But but also we know that we're not promised five years from now. Uh, we're not promised tomorrow. So why would I squander today in order to look way down the road? 
um, it's, it's, it's not the way that I want to live my life. I think you probably know that better mm -hmm. than a lot of people, how mm -hmm. unpromised we are. Communities don't just happen. They're built by people. From the big moments to the small acts of kindness. It's the authentic connections we make that define us. At Alpha Insurance, we know that every day you're building things that are worth protecting. Because for us, this is more than coverage. It's who we are. Alpha Insurance. Building tomorrow. Together. talk about your breast cancer? Yeah, we can. Uh, I was uh, 42 when I was diagnosed with stage 3 uh, breast cancer. And as my doctor said at the time, you are a mess. Mm. It was bad. It was a significant amount of cancer and it had spread into my lymphatic system. So it was it was a big nasty mess on my hands uh, and, I, and I dealt with it for a year. I had uh, eight rounds of chemotherapy and then I had radiation and uh, multiple surgeries. Uh, and so for a full year I fought it and, and I'm very fortunate that my body reacted perfectly to all of the treatment. And now Almost eight years later, uh, I'm perfectly fine. Has it been eight years? It has been eight years. Wow. Almost. I was I was diagnosed Christmas of 2014. Okay. So. So we are. Yeah, mm -hmm. we are approaching. I should have brought my Rhonda scarf. Oh, <laughs> I still have my Rhonda scarf, and I still see it in the closet every now and then and that think was so that nice. was good and great. Let's talk about the fight, though, because when you say you fought it for a year, yeah. you fought yeah. Yeah. for a year. That was a... That was a battle. Mm -hmm. That was a battle. Mm -hmm. it, did you it, did you know going in that you were going to win? I, my mother had, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer at 58 years old, but she caught it in a routine mammogram and it was like stage zero. Mm -hmm. So that was that was very encouraging. So I knew to keep an extra lookout. So I started my mammograms at age 40 like I was supposed to and um, it was so it was 2012 when I had my first mammogram 2013 and then the calendar turned to 2014 and that was the year I was appointed to the Montgomery County Commission so my life got really busy and I didn't schedule all of my routine doctor's appointments mm -hmm. and I let six months go by before, you know, I, I should have done it in the spring. Well, I just kind of let time, time slide by. Uh, and it got to the point that I felt the lump. And I wasn't, I wasn't doing a, a self-exam or anything. I felt it in the shower. And if it gets to the point that you can feel it, you are, you're in bad shape. Um, and, and so, yes, the, and that was on a Friday. Mm. So there was nothing I could do until Monday. That was the darkest, knowing Nobody had told me I had cancer. I knew I had cancer. I didn't have to be told. I knew what was going on. That was the darkest weekend of my life. And then on that Monday, you go, I went and I went to see my, my um, GYN and he immediately sent me to, you know, the, the cancer center for um, a biopsy and all the things. And so that Tuesday afternoon, 
um, my husband and I met with a doctor, and, and it doesn't matter that it's eight years later. It is, it, it is always raw because it's just, cancer is brutal. It is. It's just brutal. So the doctor said, you have cancer. And she said, you have two tumors, and they're bad. And that's all she could tell me. <laughs> because that's all they knew until they did further testing. But she didn't like what she saw. And, and, and then you go into a series of about two weeks that you're having to do MRIs and PET scans and blood work and all the, the, the exams and hoops that you go through with a doctor. And that two-week period, I was overwhelmed with fear, overwhelmed with fear and, and paralyzed with fear, really. And it wasn't about Rhonda uh, because I wasn't scared about I didn't realize how bad the treatment was going to be. I didn't realize how miserable. So I wasn't scared of that. I wasn't scared of, uh, I wasn't even scared of, of me losing my life. I was scared because my children were six and seven. My babies were only six and seven. And they were so young and they needed me because mm -hmm. children need their moms. I was petrified. I could not leave them. I couldn't. And, and I was just on my face praying and, um, really begging God for my life and, 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 and begging Him, I didn't want to die. And He said, Rhonda, what is it that you want? And I said, I don't want to die. He said, no. What is it that you want? And I said, I want to, I want to live and be a mom to my children and, and love them and be their biggest cheerleader. He said, what is it that you want? And I, just, I didn't understand why he kept asking me that. And I was like, well, I want to I want to I want to live and I don't want to be in pain and I don't want to I don't I, I want to be a mom and a wife and I just want to live a comfortable life without any pain and suffering. And I kind of felt him giggle <laughs> in love and so much love. And he said, Rhonda, what do you really, really want? And, and finally, I, I just laid it all aside and I said, I want to live a life without fear. I don't want to be afraid. He said, that I can do. And so from that moment, laying on that living room floor, God started a process of um, breaking that bondage to fear, which fear is a basic human emotion. We yeah. all experience fear. Uh, but what do we do with that fear? Do we let it paralyze us? Do we let it keep us from doing things that we're called to do? Do we let it freeze us um, uh, in, in our tracks? Or do we learn to release the fear? Because fear is not wrong, but our reaction to fear can be wrong. Uh, and so he started me through a process of being able to uh, release fear uh, from my own you know, personal mortality uh, but also fear of situations and fear of, you know, sometimes we get intimidated by yeah. certain people or situations just releasing me from that level of fear. And then there's the mom fear, which is... <laughs> Girl, which my is son's so about real. to turn 16. He's exactly. about to turn 16. To ask you about that. That's and a I'm whole like, new level. That's of, a whole new level of fear. Yes. <laughs> so how do you release it? What, what? it? I mean, it's daily, right? It, it's realizing that that we have no control, but right, there, for mothers, there's nothing that concerns us or scares us or gets our focus 
beyond our children. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really true. it. That's, that's the right. strongest, that's such a strong and powerful force. Yes. Um, I want to play a little game with you. Okay. This is really fun. Okay. I just need you to not think. Oh, just the first oh. thing, first thing that pops into your head. Jason tells me that yes. all the time. Stop thinking so much. Stop thinking so much. Take a little break. Okay. Turn the brain off and just <laughs> tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Okay. What's your go-to fast food restaurant? Oh, McDonald's. Okay. Favorite holiday? Easter. Favorite season? Spring. What's your favorite movie? Of all time, The Princess Bride. Oh, good one. <laughs> What's your favorite family together activity? We love to be at the lake. Yeah. We love to be at the lake, out on the water together. It's yeah. our favorite. Well, you guys have such a, a great spot yeah, too. That is, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. Can we, I want to talk about your family too, and I want to tell you something okay. too that I have never told you before. Okay. Um, but something that I noticed very early on in our friendship, and that I've taken with me, mm -hmm. um, that I learned from you. You're a blended family. Mm -hmm. We'll get back to that term blended. I yeah. don't know why I said that out loud because <laughs> I'm not a fan of that term. <laughs> As we blended our family, yeah. I noticed straight up that when you talked about all of your kids, they were all of your kids. Mm -hmm. There's no, these kids are mine, these kids are his. They're all our kids. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that stood out to me from the very, very beginning. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I, I've tried really hard to adopt yeah. as well. But I, I want you to just give me a little background on that. I, I know, I know why, I, why I love that. <laughs> But why was that something that you made such a priority? We've never talked about this no, before. No, we never, we never have. Um, I was, I didn't get married until I was 32. So I was single for a very long time and I lived in DC and I lived in Honolulu and was just kind of doing my own thing. Uh, and, and, and I met uh, Jason and he had two little boys. And, and that, was, that was not the plan that I had in my mind. Uh, and God just is, God is, God is love. And he revealed to me, uh, number one, Rhonda, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but trust me, I'm going to use the very thing that you think is not your plan to bless you the most in your life. And as Jason and I got to know each other and developed a relationship and um, he was ready to propose, he, his boys were his number one priority. And he said to me, he said, um, they are ours. They are not, you know, they're not my boys. They're gonna be our boys. They, you know, the boys have a, a wonderful mother and have a great relationship with her. Uh, I was, you know, I was not the mom. Uh, I was the stepmom, but I, I, I don't like that word. And I didn't want to use that word um, with, but I, I, and Jason, so Jason said they were, they are ours. And, and, and we love them and we're going to treat them the same. And so he really laid that foundation to, to a girl who really didn't understand anything. I had never had children. I have never been married. I'd never had children. I hadn't even really been around children that much. And, but, but they were the core of his world. And, and if I didn't realize that and embrace that, then, uh, then we were going to stop right there. 
so I did realize that and embrace that and and they were just three and four mm. when Jason and I met and then they were four and five when we got married so yeah we came home from our honeymoon with with children you know waiting for us so it was um, it was it was a challenge uh, to say the least and I have so you know so many things I let I got caught up in or emotional about that it was just, I was immature. I was immature and I didn't have the emotional intelligence to say, Rhonda, this is not a big deal or that's not a big deal. I was used to being single and I was used to knowing when everything was gonna, I mean, I know the train's gotta run on time in Rhonda's world. <laughs> well, you suddenly have a husband and two kids and no train is running on time. Nothing. <laughs> and that was a hard adjustment for me and, and sometimes I, I, I did some things and thought some things and felt some things that, that I shouldn't have but they were perfectly normal. Um, but we just, we, Jason was the glue and the boys were and are such good boys and they're so precious and God knew that I needed them in my life God mm -hmm. knew that I needed them and and that was it and and then Jason and I together had two more children and I remember thinking when I was pregnant with Eli I remember thinking the older boys were nine and ten and I was like I wonder how they're going to connect and I wonder how this is gonna work right I mean, Bethany, it was as if we had all always been together. They adored Eli, and, and then a year later, Margaret came along, so it didn't take long, and then we had just had these two, and it was the four of us, so uh, the four of them, and they all just clicked and bonded and loved each other until this day. They're all very close. I never hear you say any of those terms. You say you don't like the, the, step, the step terms. I don't, I don't. Everybody's just... They're all brothers. They're all sisters. They're all yours. Right. And, and, and oh, I've got a funny story. Um, right. They're not, uh, it's not step. Again, Hugh and Grant have a wonderful mother and, 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 and I, you know, I'm the stepmom, but I just don't use that term. Yeah. Uh, but I don't say I'm their mom. Right. Uh, they're just my kid, but they're my kids. Yeah. You know, they're my kids. But the funniest story is um, Margaret was young and, and, and I never wanted to, I don't know, I probably didn't do a really good job of explaining to Eli and Margaret why, you know, Hugh and Grant would go away for a week and, and then come then back. Leave, you know, <laughs> and, and, and they knew that Hugh and Grant had a mom, that they lived with the mom, and then they would come to see us. And that confused Margaret, and I didn't do a super great job <laughs> of explaining it. And she was out uh, walking in the neighborhood with a neighbor of ours. And she said to the neighbor, she said, you know, I've got a stepmom, but I never see her. I've never even been to her house. <laughs> oh, her. So Margaret thought that Hugh and Grant's mom was her stepmom, and it was just so funny. And the neighbor was like, I don't think you have a stepmom. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe that was an extreme of not talking about it, but they certainly understand now, and, and we're, all, we're all one. The dynamics, though, are so hard. They're so hard to yeah. explain. Yeah. And honestly, I'm so glad that you're a little upfront with um, explaining the feelings and the, mm -hmm. and the thoughts, because bringing a family like that together, mm -hmm. it is hard. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I all, we, they always call it a blended family. I feel like we should call it like a crashed family <laughs> or something. <laughs> because, yeah. because it comes with, a, adjustments is not a strong enough word. Right. It comes with a lot of work mm -hmm. to make it successful. It does. 
What's the secret? Well, I mean, there's the practical side, which is scheduling oh, and, uh, you know, agendas. And I mean, there was, there was a year that we had four kids at four different schools. So just the logistics on the practical side and the weekends and, and okay, well, we've got the boys this weekend. We don't have them that weekend. We've got, you know, we, Elon and Margaret are doing this, that, and the other, yes. what's going on. So, but I'm a scheduler. So I kind of was able to embrace that side of it. The other side of it is the emotional side, the, the side of, of, of this is hard. And I, you know, the days that you're like, I can't do this, or the days that you think, what, you know, whatever we allow our emotions to, to overcome us. And, and again, that is just about, it's about maturity. Mm -hmm. It's about dying to self. And I was a very self-centered person when I got married because again, all I knew was being single. All I knew was I did what I wanted when I wanted it and not out of selfishness. That was just my life. Right. I didn't have to talk to anybody. I didn't have to ask anybody. I had my own money and I had my own opportunities and I just did whatever I wanted to do. Anybody, whether you have, whether you marry into a blended family or not, when you go from being single to being married, you sacrifice self and you give yourself 100% to the other person. You give 100% to them and they give 100% to you. Uh, and that was, that was a hard, you know, that's a hard transition for most people. Yeah. And I'll admit it was a hard transition for me. Um, but it, really what it comes down to, and this is gonna sound maybe even cheesy and cliche, but you've just got to love those kids. Yeah. You've got to love those kids. And you've got to put your, um, your confusion or your uh, anxiety or whatever emotions that you're experiencing, you're the grown up and you gotta love those kids and check yourself every day of what you're saying, what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and just love those kids and let them know that you love them and let them know that, uh, that, that this is a safe, you know, their family is a safe place for them. Yeah, safe, that's a really good mm -hmm. word. Are you tired of feeling drained, being overweight, having no motivation? The Weight Clinic in Prattville can help. Weight loss isn't just a physical challenge, it's a mental challenge. That's why we support our patients every step of the way with physician-directed weight loss. We offer a variety of weight loss medication, supplements, and services tailored to your personal goals. Reclaim your motivation and energy and love you again. The Weight Clinic in Prattville. Call us today. every story that you've told me today <laughs> there's been this underlying current of your faith yeah and and I've, I've known for a long time that your faith is one of the strongest faiths that I have ever known has it always been has it always been like this <laughs> have you always had this such a close conversational relationship mm -hmm. with Jesus so I did grow up in a home with with two parents who were Bible believing, and I always, you know, was always in church and all that. And you say, was it always there? My mother told me the story of when I was very little, maybe five. Uh, I didn't feel well, I had a stomach ache, and she came in my room, and uh, we had prayed, uh, and she left, and she came back later, and she was like, "How are you feeling?" And I said, "Mom, 
can we pray again? She was like, absolutely. I said, I'm going to pray this time. And my prayer was, you know, God, thank you for healing my stomach ache. Thank you for listening to my prayer. But I wanted to let you know it still hurts a little bit. <laughs> and my mom was like, at that moment, I realized you just had this natural organic faith in, in prayer and the power of it. Uh, but, but so I did grow up in church and, and, and did come to a belief in Jesus very young. But then there's a lifelong process. It goes so far beyond that. Yes, I believe that the Bible is real. Yes, I believe that Jesus is real. Uh, and people ask me all the time, what do you do? What do you do? Well, I, I am a commissioner. I am a wife and mother. But those are the things that I do. But who I am is is a Christian. That's who I am. And, and with a biblical worldview and the sanctification process is that lifelong process of digging deeper. But just recently, I've been, you know, I'm, I'm saying I'm 50, right? I turned 50 last year. I'm really 51, but 51 is such a boring age. Can I be 50 for a couple years? And I'll skip to 52. I'm fine with that. But I think 50 sounds, 51 sounds so blah. But anyway, I'm 51. And I think I have to know most of the Christian tenets, right? I, I, I've been in church and been reading the Bible. And in the past six months, I have had revelation that I've never thought of before and in in aspects of the biblical uh, word and the journey I was like I didn't know that I had no idea specifically with regard to being filled by the Holy Spirit mm. you know we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ but then to be filled to be baptized in the Holy Spirit is a whole different ballgame yeah. so it's a it's a it's a it's a constant journey and it's one that we're all on um, and I did, and, and I will backtrack, I was 38 when my mother died, and I had just had two babies. Mm -hmm. And she was my best friend, and she was my biggest cheerleader. And from the time that she got diagnosed to the time that she died, it was three months. And she was, she, it wasn't supposed to happen, right? right? That was not the plan. And so I was devastated. I was devastated. And I needed her. I needed her, but I wanted her uh, with mm -hmm. me. And so she was gone. And I went into what I thought was uh, a long season of, of, of grief. And it was grief. And grief is natural. And I was so um, deeply embedded in my grief. I missed her. I wanted her back. And I had these babies. I had two babies. And I mean, that, and I was in my late 30s. And it was hard. Um, That's but, enough but, to put right, you into a grief season. Right, exactly. And then to add this on top of it. And so it was just a very dark place that I couldn't seem to get out of. And two years later, I was still in the dark place. Mm -hmm. And, I, and now that I look back, I, I thought through that time that I was wallowing in grief, but I was wallowing in sin. The Bible says, be ang angry and sin not. We're going to get angry. We're going to experience grief. This mm -hmm. world is bad thing after bad thing after bad thing. Uh, we're going to experience grief. But just like we're supposed to be angry and sin not, we're supposed to grieve and sin not. And in the, the depths of my grief, I was turning to food and I was trying to, trying to feel good. I was trying to make that pain of that grief go away. And everybody has a different vice. Mm -hmm. Everybody turns to something different, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's other. I won't name all the vices. We know what they all are. But we turn to something to give that temporary relief to that deep pain that we're experiencing. So my grief turned into 
I was wallowing in sin, not mm. wallowing in grief. And I gained 75 pounds. I was depressed. I was a mess. I was, I, I was in such a dark place. And it was in the midst of that that I was diagnosed with stage 3 cancer. <sighs> it, take away all the circumstances. If my mother had been alive and, and life had been different and circumstances had been different, would I have still gotten cancer? Maybe at some point in my life, maybe the, you know, my body's makeup was, was attentive to it, but I, I know that I wouldn't have it 42 years old. Mm. I was not supposed to get stage 3 cancer at 42 years old. I am convinced that, that in that depressed state, and I was not taking care of my body, I was not taking care of my mind, I was not taking care of my spirit, and, and that just, that level of stress and that level of, I mean, just junk in my body all the time. I mean, y'all, hey, that, that leads to mm -hmm. bad things. It leads to heart disease, it leads to cancer, it leads to obesity, which <laughs> is what it led to with me. Then COVID, right, mm -hmm. to add insult to injury, and I lost my income. And that wrecked me. I allowed it to wreck me. It did wreck me. A lot of people were wrecked during COVID for a lot That's of different true. reasons. Um, we all were collectively uh, impacted, but I lost my income and it wrecked me. And, and, and the chaos around me, I'm a very, I'm a structured person and there was chaos and there was uncertainty and there was confusion and it was just a recipe for disaster. And, and, and Personally, people felt it. You could sit here and tell your story of just your per how, how it wrecked you. Everybody listening could tell their story of how it wrecked them going through that chaos of COVID. And it was in the summer of 2021 that, uh, I mean, I had hit bottom and, and with the 10 years and the, all the mess and my life was just a mess. and. Uh, that that I finally I was at the lowest of the low I was at the lowest of the low points and it could not get any lower and um, I began to ask God to forgive me for all of the the sin I had brought in, and clung to in my life and the things that I was doing that was not honoring him and it was through that repentance that he began to break the bonds that were holding me down and um, I've lost 50 pounds and I've got more to go but uh, it was just a remarkable personal experience of transformation from going I was so locked down into this dark place and I know I keep referring to the dark place I, I don't know any other way to explain it or describe it I was miserable yeah. and depressed and sad and unhappy everything. Now, now you would have looked on the surface and thought Rhonda's fine. That's what we do though, right? right. I can't walk around with a sign saying I'm so unhappy, but <laughs> I, I was and, 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 but that was when it all began to change and my addiction to food started to diminish and my um, uh, just sadness and worthlessness and grief disappeared. And so, and so now I'm building back, and that, that won't that? be the because last Because I feel like I've known know. you through all of this, and I've seen you. I've seen you as, as an encourager. I've seen you as a cheerleader. I've seen you as an incredibly gracious host who loves to entertain mm -hmm. and who seems, mm -hmm. seems to have it all mm -hmm. together. And not, 
I think we can all look back and, and probably see some, I, I think I like, I like the darkness word. I think yeah. we can all see some really yeah. dark seasons in our own lives. Mm -hmm. We've all, I think we've all gone through that. And I think we can probably all identify with mm -hmm. um, maybe not, not letting that, that darkness out. Mm -hmm. But you've done a really good job of, uh, of faking the, faking the light. <laughs> well, and I mean, a lot of us fake it and I wasn't me, I didn't set out to fake it. But I was where I was, and I was unhappy. I mean, when, when, when you are 75 pounds overweight, you're unhappy. I don't care who you are, and I don't care what lies you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. You're unhappy at somewhere deep down inside. You don't feel good physically, uh, but you don't feel good mentally either. So I was unhappy with that, and then that, that leads just to a cascade of insecurity and paranoia and unhappiness. And I, but at the same time, I had a husband and kids and a family and a job and many jobs. I had to keep pushing through, but I was doing it in my own strength. And, and again, you want to wear yourself out. You want to find yourself in the hospital. You want to find yourself fighting disease. Then keep doing it in your own strength. Uh, instead, and so what I was doing is I was putting, put it well, and, and no, I was putting Band-Aids over cancer. Yeah instead of digging out the cancer in my life, mm -hmm. instead of dealing with the cancer in my life, the figurative cancer <laughs> in this case, that which led to the literal cancer. But instead of digging it out, I just kept covering it up. I just kept pushing through and kept having friends over for dinner and inviting people to go do an event and, and travel and, and do all the things that I wanted to do, but I was doing it with a, a, a very unhappy spirit. So instead of dealing with well, what's making me unhappy, Happy, what is the, the the root of this and let's dig it out and get rid of it I was just covering it up and putting a little makeup on it and pushing on and it that that that's never gonna work and we will eventually crash and hit bottom like I did in August of 21 we're gonna crash and we're gonna hit bottom and until we say okay this is out of control and start changing the things that we need to change Whatever it is, it's, it's something in everybody's life. I'm not the only mm -hmm. one that's clinging to negative mm -hmm. behaviors or, or, or whatever, but, uh, and then just get rid of it. And then we can go back to the next level. And how hard is it too sometimes to look that deep inside? It's so much easier to look at everybody else and to say, well, look at her, she's, mm -hmm. she's entertaining. Mm -hmm. She's you know, she's having friends over. She's mm -hmm. going places and doing things. She's doing great. Mm -hmm. It's so mm -hmm. much easier to just, watch other people do their thing than it is to look inside and figure out what we, what should be our thing? What do we need to be doing? Well, because that's the hard thing. Yeah. It's the hard thing. It's easy to look at somebody and maybe be jealous of them or look at them and think, I wish I had what they had. I never want to put a, a, a false narrative of myself out on social media. I try to be real. Uh, now, I've never been real about any of these things. I've never talked to anybody out loud about any, most of these things. But uh, I, I try to be real about my mistakes and, and things that I wish I had done that I hadn't. And, and with our kids, hmm. I mean, gosh, being a mother is the, is the hardest. I mean, it, it, can, it can be a daily beat down. It's the greatest <laughs> and the hardest job, and we know that. But, um, but turning inward and saying, this is what I want, but this is where I am. How do I, how do I get there? And, and God, God will reveal, God was revealing to me what I needed to do. And I was not being obedient. 
I was like, well, I don't want to do that. Or that's too hard. I can't lose 100 pounds. I mean, that's too hard. I can't do that. God was making it clear to me, Rhonda, as long as you choose to keep, you know, stuffing your face with junk and not taking care of your temple, you know, not taking care of your temple is a sin. It's a sin. Now, we want to look at some things and say, ooh, these are the bad things to do. Well, I wasn't doing those bad things, but I wasn't taking care of my body. And that's a sin. Mm -hmm. and, and the Holy Spirit was convicting me of that. And I was going, well, I don't care because I'm going to eat this and it's going to make me feel better. And I'm going to not be sad about my mom and not be sad about my problems. And when I finally came to terms with the fact that I'm going to be stuck until I'm obedient, nothing was going to change. And then I got to the point that I said, I want to be obedient. I want to fully surrender. I want to, I want to, to move past this. And in that moment of obedience, what he does is he meets us where we are, right? And then he equips us. It is, it is hard, whatever you're trying to put down, whatever you're doing that you know you shouldn't be doing, that you know that's not good for you, um, it's hard. Uh, but he's going to equip us. Now we have to have that obedience, we have to have that willingness and we have to make that step of obedience. But when we do, I have never experienced in my life the level of freedom that I experienced in that moment. We talked about, about all of your accomplishments. You are quite accomplished. What would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Well, you're kind to say that. I, I, I do not feel that way. I feel I have been afforded some really great opportunities um, and that God puts us in, in, in the places we are uh, for a specific reason. You know, this, this life is short um, and, and, and I'm thankful that, that He has me where I am uh, for this season. My greatest accomplishment, I mean, I'm supposed to say my family, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, straight are up though. Of course, I, do, I know you're proud of your I really family. I really do but... <laughs> have the, great, the greatest kids ever. But besides my wonderful family uh, and my great kids, they really are so much fun. I have so much fun with them. Um, I'm taking advantage of it every day. I, yes. I love it. Yes. I mean, especially the, the, the two that are at home, 14 and 15, I mean, oh, they're so fun. Uh, and we enjoy every single day. My proudest accomplishment, Bethany, I really don't, I probably should have an answer for that. I don't know that I do. That's okay. I don't know that I have a proudest accomplishment. Um, I'm, I'm Okay, I do. I, I really believe in building relationships. I believe that, you know, we talk about leadership and, and leadership is not a title. Leadership is influence. Uh, and how do we want to influence? You are a major influencer. How do we want to influence people? How do we influence people? Well, we do it by meeting them where they are and getting to know them and building relationships. Leaders build relationships. Leaders communicate and that's how you build relationships. I love when I have opportunities to bring women together. Yeah. I love when I have um, a luncheon uh, that I can have eight women around a table and they can get to know each other and interact and build new relationships, women who don't know one another, uh, and, and, and then help each other when they need help or encourage one another when they need encouragement. Uh, that might be, at least in this season, one of the, the opportunities that I'm most thankful for. On the flip side. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back because I really love the story and I think this is just so <laughs> it's so poignant of your prayer. So thank you for, for taking my tummy ache away, but it still kind of hurts a little. Yeah. What still kind of hurts a little? What are we still working on? 
I tell my kids all the time, I'm a tough mom. I know that I'm tough on you. I'm tough on myself also. Mm. I've had to learn to love myself more than I push myself. But what, what do I still want to see happen? What do I still want to accomplish? Um, I've grown a lot. It, when, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I knew everything, right? You couldn't tell me <laughs> anything. Did we all? I know. And I was loudmouthed about it and uh, would come across with the condescending and, oh, it's not the way to win friends and influence people. So I'm very thankful now in my, in my late 40s and now into my 50s, my emotional intelligence has gotten me to a place that I know when to keep my mouth shut, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that the, what we need to do? So I know when to keep my mouth shut. I want to empty out Rhonda, the pride. What, what, you know, when you say what, what is still left to do or what, what is still out there, I have no idea because I don't see what's going to happen in five years. But what I want to do is get out of the way because I have opinions and I have emotions and I have a loud mouth and I want to throw elbows and I, you know, I'm a fighter and I'm strong-willed and I want to push my way into every room and throw my you know, stuff on the table and say this is the way it's going to be. I want God to continue to grow me and my mm -hmm. emotional intelligence to say, you know what, Rhonda, that's not the way, that's not the way to operate in this world. That's how I was born. That's my temperament. And we all come into this world with a certain temperament and it really never changes throughout our life. <laughs> uh, but to be aware of, yes, that's, that's who I am. I'm a fighter. I like to throw elbows. I like to get in your face and say, you're wrong and I'm right. Um, but if, if you genuinely care about people and you care about relationships, then you have to put yourself aside and die to yourself every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, mm -hmm. and in order to be able to genuinely help people and love people and create those relationships. I mean, we're here, life is but a vapor, right? right. And then we're gone. So, I mean, what, what do we want to leave behind? What, you, you know, not stuff, not collecting stuff, which, you know, is going to just be destroyed one day, uh, but winning people into helping people understand that they can be freed from whatever darkness that they're in, that there is light available to them and, and being a light to the world. You are. Well, you are you. such a light. You've been a light for me. You're a light for a lot of people. It's and Jesus through me, right? And that's yes. my prayer. Get me out of the way. What you're seeing in me, anything good that you see in me is Jesus through me. Yes. It's not Rhonda, and I want less of Rhonda and more of Him. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your light with us. Glad to do it. Glad to do it.